The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. everyone nice to have you along for episode 25 of the boys of tech for monday the 13th of july 2009 i'm edwin herman and as usual helping me host the show brett king welcome brett howdy brett i understand you're freezing where you are ah it's quite cold here tonight yeah that's the temperatures have been awful uh this in fact this whole winter's been terrible this whole winter has been quite cold so I'll tell you what we will do. We'll warm up the the environment with some good conversation. Well, one of the, the biggest story really that can't be ignored. Our first story tonight: Google's OS, known as Chrome OS. Hmm. Wow. Where do we start with this one? Indeed, they, it's there are a lot of stories about the announcement and a lot of speculation, but I have not found a single bit of meat to bite my teeth into. It's all airy fairy stuff at the moment <laughs> so. it is yeah not a lot of substance um, you know, hard facts but I'll tell mm. you one thing we know for sure though is that it's very much likely to change the way we work when we work on Google Chrome because we're not going to be loading up a you know, a word processor on the machine we're on we're not going to load up a spreadsheet on the machine we're on it's all going to be done via the web all your data stored on Google's well in Google's cloud Indeed, this is this is a logical extension to Google's plan to cloud everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like the ver- the use of the verb there to cloud. Yeah, it, it, that's what they're doing. They're clouding us. Indeed, indeed. And whether you want to be clouded or not is whether or not you buy into this. <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell you what, though, they what they're going to do, they're going to uh, try and get into the netbook market and. I think that's probably a logical place to start because it is definitely the logical place to start. Netbooks are well, you want them the to name, be light. They're all about they're all about being connected, and so this is a logical place for Google to start with their um their cloud must be connected operating system. Well, it uh, yeah, I I mean, if you're if you've got a netbook, perhaps you're travelling with it, which is what they're really good for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really don't need, to be honest, a whole OS, and maybe you don't even want one because, well, you don't want your data on that machine necessarily because you're travelling. You, you might get stolen, and even if it doesn't, you kind of want to keep all your data in the one place rather than than having to transfer it when you're back. I think it's a it's the netbook market's going to be good for for Google OS. That's you know, it's, from Google's point of view anyway. Mm, mm. The network market is the logical choice, which is interesting about that. The story we were talking about last week, in that uh, not a lot of people use netbooks the way that they're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's uh, just basically laptops. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in Microsoft have now got something like ninety-five percent of the netbook market, and it started off very much in the in the Linux sort of world. With uh, I'm not sure did did Linux have a special netbook OS? Uh, no, it's just... Straight Linux. Yeah, it's just a straight Linux installation. That's the cool thing about Linux is you can make it 
install on almost anything and you can make it as bloated or as unbloated as you want it yeah that's, want it to that's, be that's kind of you nice. can make it as user-friendly or as unuser friendly as you want it to be <laughs> but hey good with with google's chrome os it's never going to be bloated even if you want it to be because everything's in the cloud in the cloud, yes, indeed. So and we've we discussed cloud before on multiple occasions. And we have. And it'll be very interesting to see how this one plays out, whether or not it actually lives up. Because this is their this is their big chance, their big chance to prove that the the cloud concept is going to work. This is their, on a mainstream appliance, and if it doesn't, then. So if, if you were traveling right now, uh, would you consider a netbook with, with Google Chrome OS if it was available? Uh, yes, I would consider it as for in that particular instance. If I was traveling with a netbook, Google Chrome OS, if the little tidbits that we've been able to glean from the many, many stories that are about this, <laughs> out about the announcement, would definitely be a good option to choose in that situation. What about for your machine for for home use? Now, I know you play games, so let's say you have a box dedicated for games, but for for your, all your email and your documents, would you would you ditch Windows and go to Chrome OS? Mm, that would be a harder choice. That would be a much harder choice. Living in a in an apartment complex as I do, and having internet which goes on and off constantly, I wouldn't want to rely on cloud stuff. Now, sure, I'm sure there will be tons of listeners out there who know about all the different plugins and stuff that you can get to make and the advances in stuff that make your online web application still work when you're offline. But the hassle (laughs) of losing half your connectivity to half of the extra stuff that you might not have bothered to bring down or you, you know, forgot to upload or download to make it offline or whatever, just losing that connectivity is a pain in the butt. And being able to work on a machine, you know, consistently offline is a big thing in a world which is nowhere near as connected as some people believe it is. I suspect a lot of people will be thinking the same thing. Actually, I, I, uh, sure they're going they're going to be the fans out there of Google OS who say it's it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. But I, I think a lot of people will be thinking the same as you, or perhaps they might not really have a clue, but find out the hard way. Mm. But uh, I'd like you know I I suspect it may well just end up being a niche market operating system, and that's where it may remain forever. It may be, but then again, it may take the world by storm. They may, it may be Google's time to show that their concept is a goer and is the way of the future and that it does and will work. Well, this, this would be their chance to, to do that. And you know, Google mm. are actually highly unpredictable. They are. They do like to throw the curveballs. They do. Uh, even Apple, as much as they try and keep things secret, you can usually work them out. And Microsoft are as predictable as anything. Google mm. is, uh, I, I don't know, Google to me is one of the hardest companies to predict and, and, you know, in terms of what they come out with and how successful they are and which ones work and which ones don't. Yeah. So yeah, we, It's one of the great things about Google. They put their fingers in all the pies and try and make things happen. And they're not afraid to take those risks. With Google, life is like a box of chocolates. Indeed. 
that's going to be our title for the show, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you never know which ones are full of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll make that the title of the show, that last, that second part. <laughs> oh, goodness me. All right, well, that, that's Google OS. There's really not a lot of uh, hard substance, to, but what, what we do know is that it's it, they're really going to be pushing the online applications, you know, Google Docs. Definitely going to be pushing the online applications. In They've got a lot of buy-in from hardware makers. Who yeah, they are, do. They do. Who have pledged support to build machines to to run the the Chrome OS. So they've got the potential here to 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 make something happen. And it'll just it'll be interesting to see some information with a little more substance on what this Chrome OS is actually going to be doing. Yeah, well, they've yeah. The, you you talked about buying. They've got. Uh, I think they're doing deals with Acer, Asus, Freescale, Hewlett Packard, Lenovo, Toshiba. Mm. So yeah, they've they're not they're going just, this alone. They're, they're, no, they've got big names in there. Mm. So this will be very interesting, mm. and it will definitely take a chunk out of Microsoft's netbook share. Yeah. Now, actually, that that's probably quite likely. Uh, you know, the chunk out of Microsoft's uh, netbook share. What about the the other, the main share of of the desktop that Microsoft have? Do you think it it might eat into that a little bit? To desktops, well, they've only announced stuff for for netbooks so far, and as I said before, I'm not so not so sure. But the model uh, just doesn't work, does it? Really, I'm <laughs> not so confident that the model will work in a desktop situation. And almost certainly not for a business situation. No, that, be interesting uh, no to that's, see. that's that's for sure. But I think in the you know I I have this feeling that that if if Google could wave its magic wand and get its wish, that all desktops would effectively be like netbooks. Really, mm. I, I think that's their wish. I'm not saying that that's where they're going now with with Google OS. Uh, they, as I said, you know earlier on they're definitely concentrating on the netbook market but I, I do have the the feeling that behind the scenes their 10 or 20 year vision is that all desktops are netbooks that that's, mm. kind, of, that's kind of what i think where what, what google would like to see or at least for the things that we can do in, in the in the cloud world yeah yeah don't, don't quite know where games you know i don't know that we can get you know, games like that. Well, who knows? We're, well, we're, there have been a couple of announcements over the past couple of weeks of different companies coming up to try and offer games virtualized and delivered through the web. And I can't, for the life of me, remember the the name of the the company. I'll have to look at that, look that up, and say it for next time. But yeah, that's attempting to be able to deliver some of the old school games and some of the you know, newer games. Uh, first-person shooters, um, real-time strategy, all the different sorts of games via the web, which will be interesting. Well, but it, yeah, I'm still not quite so, yeah, confident, uh, willing to put my hand up and say, yes, sign me up for the cloud world, sign me up for all of this distributed virtualized computing. I do like the stability and the comfort in knowing that what I have installed on my machine is on my machine will run on my machine with or without me having to be connected to the internet, with or without me having to have a stable connection to the internet. We all know how difficult that is to get on occasion. And 
knowing that I've got it. <laughs> uh, I'm the same, but I, <laughs> I can hear the Generation Y out there listening, thinking, oh, you guys are just old fuddy-duddies. <laughs> indeed, you're old dinosaurs. <laughs> well, indeed. Who knows what's going to happen in that space? That's, yeah, the problem with the net is that anything is, is, is just so hard to predict, even looking five years down the track. I mean, you look just 10 years back, and that was the, you know, the, the dot-com bubble and that burst, and you know, five years before that, it was a you know the net was a very different place. There was hardly any advertising. Yeah, spam was invented about fifteen years ago. Yeah, indeed, it was only fledgling back then. Mm. So it's that that kind of makes you know everything moves so fast. It's really hard to predict. And coming back to Google, uh, yeah, look, good on them for 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 doing it. That's that's what I say. You know, indeed, it, it, it indeed. Adds, it, adds, it could be a brilliant thing. Yeah, it yep. could be. And if no one tries anything, what a dull place it would be, you know? Well, precisely. So <laughs> even if it turns out to be nothing, hey, that's uh, it's, it's a good learning thing anyway. Indeed. Uh, nothing, we don't get innovation without trying. No, exactly. That's how we <laughs> learn. And speaking of learning, McAfee's got a bit to do. The antivirus program has attacked some of the core system files in Windows mm. and, and other things as well which means that uh, a lot of computers were getting blue screens of death. Indeed. <laughs> McAfee's latest, or the McAfee's previous update, what was it, number 5664, went live, got updated to machines, and suddenly the machines started identifying system files, bits of Internet Explorer, drivers for compact computers, and even various bits of McAfee's own installed software. <laughs> so um, it attacked itself. It attacked itself <laughs> and started um, saying that they were malware and Trojans and attempting to quarantine things and delete and disinfect stuff. And quite a number of machines ended up as rather large paperweights and quite a number of staff from effective businesses ended up just turning off their machines <laughs> and sitting back and oh twiddling dear. their thumbs. <laughs> and it's caused a lot a lot of confusion and trouble in the IT industry. Oh and and it's, it's not a good time as well because as we talked about last week, uh, Microsoft had a surprisingly high rating in the antivirus space. They're doing really well. So this is even yeah. more reason to ditch McAfee and go to Microsoft's solution. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> it's it's not very never, good never a good look for you to push out an update <laughs> that is that faulty. So somebody at McAfee <laughs> is going to have a rather red face <laughs> and probably be getting slapped quite severely <laughs> on the wrist. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for letting that thing get out. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes, I'll tell you that now. Indeed. Wouldn't want to be in their shoes Where, yeah. Where's the quality assurance for the product releases for that? Jeez. What do you mean quality assurance? You just get it out as fast as you can, isn't that, isn't that the whole deal? <laughs> Indeed, that's right. They've got their one poor coder sitting in a in a room. <laughs> trying to work and to it's a his deadline. job to do the update, and so he did it and pushed it out before anybody else could have a look at it. Because well, it was, he was given a deadline, wasn't he? And uh, he was he was coding right up until the last minute, so he had to push the publish button. And away yeah. we went. Yeah, uh. <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. There's a new project out there that's seeing the historic Bible pages, the originals that is, being scanned and put online. Indeed, from the the world's oldest vi- the world's oldest codex of the Old and New Testaments. Mm, I think this is really good. 
Yeah, it's very brilliant. They were separated for a very long time as different bits of it went off to different places. And now they've worked their agreements out and it's all going to be published, all scanned, all put online so that all the scholars will have a chance to look at the the, the oldest surviving text of the Christian Bible. So just, just for our listeners out there, if you want to visit the website, it's www.codexsinaiticus.org. That's codex, C-O-D-E-X-S-I-N-A-I-T-I-C-U-S.org. Uh, yeah, and look, I, the, the, the neat thing about this now is that we can get so much more research done on these things because researchers have direct access now. Indeed. No more having to wait or get special permission to go into the vacuum-sealed room with your fuzzy white gloves to carefully look at a document that might fall apart if you do it wrong. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're now from the, the comfort of your cushy office be able to look at high resolution images of all of the text and do all of the work that you want. Not that many people these days can actually read it, but I'm sure the scholars know how to. Indeed, have it means that, that the scholars who the scholars who study this particular subject will have direct access, basically, to the source. Yeah, uh, and it's a brilliant thing, and I think it'll be one of many. Um, yes, as this is one of the the leaps in the study of ancient texts and the study of history. This is good stuff. I, I like this kind of stuff, and it kind of um, kind of goes hand in hand with Google uh, scanning books as well, which is Indeed. which is a different thing, but it's kind of got this a similar theme, you know, preserving old preserving text. the past, preserving mm. the the documents and stories of the past mm. for the future, and providing them for people to look at. Because, you know, some of these, like the Bible for ones... For free, yeah, as it should be. <laughs> well, exactly, it's for free. And the thing, the important thing about the, the one we're talking about here, where these are the historic Bible pages, is that there's only really what they have in hard copy. And once those things disintegrate or fall to bits, that, that's kind of it. So this that is, is, it. This yeah, is really preserving... This is perver- what, preserving what that left. knowledge from the destruction of time. Mm. So, yeah, good. good here's, that, that's a fantastic use of the, the internet. Like I like those stories. Yeah, Give you warm, fuzzy feelings. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, in Australia, Telstra is dropping the use of a Filipino call centre that it moved to not long ago after people complained about its service. Uh, so this mm. is this is something that we're seeing more and more. I think people, you know, companies using these offshore call centres, but the customers being more and more disgruntled about the fact that the, there's no local knowledge, the grasp of the English language isn't there, so that there's difficulty in understanding. Difficulty in understanding, names being taken down incorrectly, numbers being taken down incorrectly, and for a, a service what Telstra was attempting to offer to businesses, you know, you know, like a secretary taking calls and passing them on, that sort of service just wasn't on. <laughs> no, that, that's, you've got to have a high level of accuracy and reliability for that kind of service. I, how do you find it when you ring phone companies or, or other internet companies or whatever services and, and it goes off to an offshore Offshore place. Do you do you get frustrated with that or? Well, it's quite difficult, really. <laughs> I'm sure in certain places you might instantly know that if you just rang up that business and somebody on the other end of the line had uh, a bit of an accent that oh oh, this is some off, <laughs> this is some out of the country call center that I'm talking to, but. With most of the places that I've called, which are usually uh, telecommunications companies and such forth, in New Zealand, 
we've got a relatively good melting pot here uh, of a whole range of different accents. So, so you never really I can, can never, tell. I can never truly tell. <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. <laughs> <laughs> if the person with that accent, which I think might be from somewhere in the <laughs> somewhere in Asia, is really somewhere in Asia, or whether or not they happen to be in the ANZ building across the way. <laughs> yeah, actually, that, that is true. Sometimes that is hard to tell because uh, a lot of people here just do have accents anyway, as you said, because, mm. uh, yeah, it's very uh, cosmopolitan. So. It is. But, uh, yeah, it, it, getting back to the, the story, it's it's kind of, I can understand that it's frustrating because, you know, you're trying to you're you're trying to communicate with someone who who doesn't un- understand what you're saying, or you can't understand what they're saying back to you. Mm-hmm. It's 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 so frustrating because there's no workaround. No, it's it's an unacceptable level of service, and something needs to be done about it. And it's good to see that a a, a big business like Telstra actually did do something about it. They got rid of it yeah because most of them just <laughs> most of them just don't really care and say ah oh, too bad it seems to be working and they'll give you all these stats about how many calls they take and so therefore it must be good because they're getting through a lot of calls but really mm. what the, what most of them you know end mm. up saying in that way is that oh it, it, we don't really care what, what what you say but as you said Telstra have actually taken the initiative to to bring this back into the country so that it can deliver a better level of service to its customers. I think that mm. is good. Mm. It, that is good. Hopefully it will be a better level of service. It's not to say that an Australian-based alternative would provide better level of service. It's quite possible that the Australian-based alternative may <laughs> end up providing just as lousy a service as the Philippine, <laughs> the Filipino one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, at the end of the day, it's not that the, you know, the Filipinos or that they're Indians that makes it bad. It's just the fact that... Uh, they're not properly trained. They're not properly trained, or, or that they you, they just can't get the people with the the same level of competency in a particular language that the the company's uh, using. So that, exactly. that, that's where the you know I I'm all for for you know look these these countries like the Philippines and India can can do very well out of these things and I'm all for that. Indeed, if the level of service can be there and and is yep. just as good and that there's no issues. Unfortunately, yeah. what often tends to be the case is that we do see these issues creeping in. And a lot of it can just be that the majority of people who ring up a customer service representative in one of these call centers are having some sort of issue and will already have had an inflated level of frustration with the fact that they've got an issue to have to ring up about. Yeah, actually, that's (laughs) true. So when you are ringing up, you are quite often part of the problem in the miscommunications. Yes, you're already starting off on the back foot. Exactly. (laughs) So it's it's one of these um, stories which does tear me from both ends because I have been both... Well, I've never been a customer service representative, but I feel for customer service representatives after some of the tirades that I have gone on to <laughs> after being a disgruntled customer ringing up one of those places and then afterwards feeling incredibly bad. You wouldn't have been rude though, would you? I uh, wouldn't have been. I wasn't rude, but I was very demanding mm. and uncooperative. <laughs> Because my back was up, because I was frustrated with the, what I was, the problems I was having, and since then, since I had particularly experience which made me feel genuinely guilty afterwards, I have, as best as I can, endeavoured to keep my level of frustration under control when I ring up a call centre. <laughs> 
well, so that I, I don't have to pass off my frustration onto them to make them have a horrible day. <laughs> but <laughs> I still expect them to be professional, understand what I'm saying, for me to understand what they're saying and for them to be able to do what I have rung them to be able to do. So if I, I have think an that's a, that's a fair they're going to be tech support, then they better know what they're talking about. That's a fair and request. Mm. Indeed. And if they say that something is going to happen, then something should damn well happen. Mm. But one of those most important things is that they need to be able to understand the customer and the customer needs to be able to understand them. Regardless of where they're located or what's service industry they are being the call center for that's initial communication is the core thing and if better training is put into that then a lot of this negativity and a lot of this frustration that customers will have will go away and the whether or not they happen to be located in india or whether they are located in australia will be irrelevant Mm. I think I think that, that obviously doesn't address the whole where are jobs and are they taking jobs from the locals and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not going to get to that sort of thing. <laughs> That's another issue <laughs> and another kettle of fish. Yeah, but but I, the, the companies that do this outsourcing will will basically push the, the limits as far as they can. They'll try and get away with whatever they can, and, mm. uh, and they do know, it for a whole heap of reasons. You can it, it's almost certainly cheaper to outsource them. To, to off countries and it means that you can deflate the figures for your employee number which means all of those insurance things you play less in all of those because you've got a smaller number of employees you fit in different brackets for different charges and stuff so just another one of those things they do. And in the case of Telstra, it's, uh, they, I think they realised they went too far and it just wasn't working. So good on them for bringing that back. That's, that's good. Good to see. Indeed. Well, the latest craze on Facebook is taking photos of yourself lying down in strange positions and publishing that on, on the site. Indeed. What's, and what's that about? It's just another one of the ways that <laughs> people on Facebook push the limit of having a laugh. So, so there's no, there's no point to it, is there? It's just a, a there, fun there's thing. There's no point to it. It is it's, purely it's, a creative, you know, organized fun. So it's like and, flash crowds. Yeah, exactly. You just do it's, it because it's a laugh. There's no reason it behind it, is there? Yep. It, it's a laugh and it's a challenge and it, it's creative and you can... You, you do them to push yourself. Like the latest one, the lying down game, has some pretty straightforward rules. You do have things to, have rules? Oh, indeed. They're, all of these sorts of things, are, they're all organized around some sort of set of rules. And that's part of the challenge. So tell me, and, tell me about some of these rules for this game, for the lying down one. The rules for the lying down game are you've got to try and find a weird place to do it. It has to be in public. You have to lie face down. You have to have you have to lie face down in a certain you know posture. Your hands have to be flat to your sides. Your feet have to be flat. Your toes facing the ground. Other than that, it's the judging is basically the more public the space is, the better. The more people you have involved, the better. <laughs> and the weirder the place, the better. So. <laughs> have, have, have you done this as well, Brad? I have not taken part in this particular one, though I may. Oh, you end will up, be. <laughs> <laughs> I may end up as. 
because it does look quite fun. And they've got over 3,000 entries already, pictures posted onto the, the group on Facebook. So this, um, this isn't really organized by any, any one person, is it? It's just a thing that no, developed? or no, it, It's somebody's had a brilliant idea, a group of friends might have thought of it and decided, what the hell, let's challenge each other to do this. They made a Facebook page of it and let's see if any, let's see if anybody else wants to have a go. And so they put it out there and people just take it up because it's something fun to do. It's, it doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, it's just fun. So have a little you, bit have of organized lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah okay <laughs> no I'm all for that that's good it's good stuff I like it really I do indeed indeed and I expect to see a picture of you on there well I don't use Facebook but I, I can do it on tw- how about I do one on Twitter <laughs> okie dokie you oh. do one on Twitter and I'll take the picture and I'll put it on Facebook for you oh in that I'll case I'll add it to the group oh, mm, I, might, <laughs> I, I might back down on that <laughs> <laughs> All righty, good on you, Brett. Look, that's the uh, international stories done for the week, and we'll take a short break. When we come back, New Zealand stories for this week in tech. Welcome back, and the New Zealand stories for this week. First up, something I'm particularly excited about, Google is unveiling a new service for the New Zealand real estate industry. Let me tell you how it's going to work real estate agents will be able to upload their listings for properties directly onto the Google Maps site. So you can actually view a property on Street View and and see the the area it's in. I think this is great. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, And and it's going to bring them all into one place, all these different real estate agents all into the one place. So you can... Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I think it's going to be another great tool for the house hunter, a logical extension of the, the, the Google Maps ability. For ages now, the different real estate agents have been utilizing the Google Maps to display a map of where a property was when yeah, you look at a property they, they embed it, page. Don't they, yeah. in their site. They're mm. embedded at the bottom of the page and there you can see where it is. Well, this way you can go to the Google Maps and choose to look at the real estate view and it will show you all of those little pins showing you all of the places that are currently for sale. And then you just hover over the pin and you know click on it and it will take you to the appropriate real estate agent site and for that particular property. It's great. It is. And you know what's really neat about this that's different to other sites that attempt to amalgamate all the different real estate agents together is mm-hmm. that because it's sort of a live service, it's not just a site that you click through, you can just yep. hover the mouse over and as you said, and it shows you all the properties. So you you don't need to click through to this and click through to that and refresh the page. It's all there in the interactive map. Exactly. And, and it's familiar because people are familiar with Google Maps. Indeed. It's, it's going to be a brilliant new tool for people hunting for property to um, find what they're looking for. I think it's awesome. I'll tell you what I have done in the past when I was looking for properties to rent. I'd actually punch in the address once I found what the address was. I'd punch that into Google Maps and do a street view to kind of get an idea of the area you're looking at. Well, this mm-hmm. is kind of a, you know, an extension of that, but it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier. And I gave it a whirl earlier today, and it was great. But one thing I wish they would do is, as you're on a street view, it would be nice that if you go past a property that's for sale, that it has like a virtual for sale sign on it. Ah, yeah. That would be kind of nice. That would be interesting, yeah. Because you have to go there at the moment by clicking on on the pins, on the ABC pins. 
which is fine. But it, as mm-hmm. I say, just a, an, an extra service, you know, just to have a virtual for sale sign displayed in the Street View picture. I, I think that would be kind of neat. That way you would automatically know that that property was for sale if you would just happen to be browsing around in Street View, mm. as some people do do. Mm. But yes, uh, something... I think that's going to be very, very useful. And best of all, it's free for, for everyone. It's free for the real estate agents and f- absolutely free for users as well. So yep, can't get better than that. No, you can't get better than that. The Commerce Commission, the Reserve Bank and the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry are amongst ag- a number of agencies that are going to enjoy new and extended powers under a new bill, under a new search and surveillance bill. Mm. And so in short, these agencies are going to get extra rights in terms of surveillance, especially covert surveillance. They can break into premises to install cameras and whatnot without mm-hmm. having to, uh, you know, get a warrant or, or, or inform anyone. Obviously, it has to, you know, it's co- covert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm, I'm, Brett, <laughs> let's kick off with, with your views on this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that this bill really needs to have a good look at it. And there are a whole slew of different parts in there which just rub right up against people's right to privacy and right to security. So, as it is, as it's currently originally written, I really, really hope that it would never get past any sort of scrutiny and come into law because it's it's atrocious currently. Yeah, but it's to help Um, them with law enforcement. So, there's there's a difference. There's helping with law enforcement, and there is George Orwell's 1984. There is mm. government, you know, there is helping stop criminals and there is the government looking at what its private law-abiding citizens are wearing in the bathroom. What That's they're having the for breakfast. Between, what, what they're, they're having watching for breakfast, on TV. What they're watching on TV, what they're doing in the privacy of their own homes. This bill allows for the wire, for wiretapping, for bugging and putting cameras to monitor people. And, you know, woe be to the poor employees of the agencies who get these powers because all of these powers are able to be reflected directly inwards on all of the people who work there. So, as it is, it is... I don't see how this bill could ever proceed as it currently is. And it also, this bill endeavours to remove or dilute a lot of the traditional safeguards we have around the powers that people, that law enforcement and that different agencies have to invade the privacy of the citizenry. And if... It's, yeah, I can right now hear all of the people decrying, if you've got nothing to hide, why, why would you not want this? And my point is, well, that's fine. If you've got nothing to hide, would you like me to sit in your bedroom and watch you tonight? Because <laughs> if you've got nothing you've to hide it, yeah. and you're not doing anything that you don't want anybody to know that you're not doing, okay, yeah, then can yeah. I sit in your bedroom tonight? Uh, yeah. Can well, I watch well put, you well put. tomorrow at work? Can I, you know, sit sit at your desk and watch what you're doing when you're at work? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, well put. Can, can I rummage through your drawers? Indeed, indeed. I won't take anything. Do you mind but I if I have a look, look in your fridge? In mm. Do do you 
Do you, do you yeah, do you, do you mind if I see what you're watching on television? Can I can, can I come over tonight? Do you okay, have a nice you, big screen? You, you, you put, have Skype? You put that very well, actually, and you put an interesting perspective <laughs> it on that. It is completely irrelevant whether or not you've got something to hide or not. The right to privacy is a human right. Look, if, if, <laughs> it is part look, of the Bill of Rights. <laughs> it's... Well, the, the one thing that I think that could be good about this, if there is anything good about this, and that is the fact that these agencies don't need to fluff around with red tape to actually perform and coordinate and execute a proper operation. That, mm. that, that's, that, you know, making but things... But a lot of that red tape is there to protect people from the abuse of power. Because as, as the old adage says, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. There's there's always that risk. There's got to be oversight. There has to be checks in so place. So the question so is, that, where is that balance? And exactly, where is that balance? Where is the where is the decision on is that going to impinge on the rights of people that we have no proof or evidence or even you know suspecting of them from doing anything inappropriate versus there is something really dodgy going on there and we need to be able to check to see if, you know, we can get evidence on it. There's a difference between that. So There's a difference th- between willy-nilly spying on the everyday Joe down the street and looking at that uh, known gang associate who was with the previous suspects at certain times. There are, you know... <laughs> so let me get this straight. Let's... Let's say you could get a guarantee that it would not be abused. Let's just say it, it was implemented and wasn't abused. And but how how are they well, going to get be, that? Would you be happy with without that? oversight? Would but without, would, you, well, would you be happy with that if it was if it wasn't abused? If you could guarantee that, absolutely guarantee it. Then yeah, sure. So so your main pain point for you, the pain point for you really is the There's fact no that it's check. open to abuse. Yeah, it so is there's no checks and balances. In fact, the the thing is attempting to remove and dilute checks and balances on the current system. Yeah, you, you do need a balance. I'm, I'm fine yeah. with extension of power to to you know take advantage of the fact that the world is changing, the way people do things change, and the way people need to investigate crimes. But it's got to be tempered with with. But it's got to be tempted with the fact that. Yeah. It is a human right to have privacy, especially in your own home. Well, says who? And <laughs> the Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Act. Yeah, I know, but yeah, you get my point, <laughs> though. That, legislation <laughs> way above this thing. Yes, but uh, you, you know what I'm saying? That, that's going to slowly get around it as well. And the Christians, of course, would proclaim quite, you know, vocally that it is a God-given right. <laughs> yeah, they, pro- they probably would, yes. <laughs> and it's about the abuse of it. So what would you rather something say? You have, that, so something what's, that does not require a check and a balance is open to abuse. So how do you, how do you get... That it was not going to be abused because of some ver, you know variant check balance or whatever, then that's fine. But there are reasons for these checks and balances. I know, as they have, as you've already said, there is a heck of a lot of red tape that they've got to go through for some of these things. And they've got to involve the police. That, that's actually one downside, I think. It is. They have to involve, you know, police resources are fairly limited. And if these people have to constantly involve the police uh, in, their, in these operations, 
especially in executing them, isn't that just going to put a burden on the on the resources that we have available in, in our police force? But it's the it's the difference between what we call what. Yeah, the powers of a, a peacekeeping force and an investigative investigatory force and other places. The So perhaps, Brett, to help you out, here's what they should do. What they should do is leave it the way it is at the moment where they require, you know, a, a warrant and police presence and all that sort of stuff, but put more resources into police in assisting these people. Yeah? Indeed. That that's that really all that's all we that. need. That would be the logical, con- the logical conclusion to this. It's oh, why, yeah. did, why didn't the government think of that? Gee, because <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's trying to put band aids around things that have a logical fix that they just don't want to do. But trying to remove checks and balances, the the extension of these different powers, that's a different kettle of fish. But the removing the fact that stuff needs to be you know there need to be checks and balances and safeguards on the misuse of these powers well this is i think uh, you know just more of the slippery slope that we've been on for a long while you know for a while now so uh, i i really don't know how to how to you know what to think about it to be honest because i can kind of see what they're trying to achieve but i i see exactly what you're saying brett and, and your concerns mm. and so so perhaps uh, perhaps ours the solution i mooted just earlier might, might have been the, the better one and but yeah. it's, you or know this is just, still a bill um, this is this is still a bill and hasn't yet been approved so it hasn't yet been approved it, it hasn't yet not. gone through uh what are they the select committee panel and been thought about through there but there's even some of the stories on this have put commentary on some of the things which would need to be changed about this bill because some of the things that the bill is proposing are disproportionately invasive measures versus the nature of the you know the scheme that they are being applied to it's like you might have been accused of doing something naughty by the math and so the math breaks into your home puts in cameras bugs your phones and can do all of that because you were i don't know littering or fishing in the wrong place yeah but realistically that realistically that, 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 that takes a lot of resources to run an operation like that so realistically they're, they're going to concentrate on on the big fish and then that's what that's the big fish are going to tr- get treated with the big surveillance surely surely because it's it's time and resources and money so that they're going to by default they're not going to do this to every single person just because they can surely you have to remember that they have limited resources limited money limited budget especially in this economic situation so perhaps that will be the, the, the self-correcting that, factor but yet we still see sore stories of people doing the wrong things and misusing their power or misusing their opportunities I'm just playing devil's advocate to get a story out. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But, you know, look, I, <laughs> but it is. It's one of those. It's one of those very tricky kettle of fish that will have a lot of people watching it. There are a lot of privacy and rights watchdogs out there who advocate for the the, the you know the sanctity of somebody's personal privacy, and unless you've got a really good reason for intruding in it then you should not have the power nobody should have the power to intrude in it unless there is a damn good reason and there should be a check and a balance on who has the power to intrude and that's what this is all about the bill 
does give some good powers to some good people, but there needs to be checks and balances, and not that there, not fewer checks and balances. Okay. And whether it is a whether it is specific oversight, a, a nice you know, a nice transparent, publicly accessible oversight to this sort of thing, then yes, cool. But yeah. Okay, then on to our last story, which is a good news story. You'll like this. Well, maybe you won't because you don't have an iPhone. But Vodafone, <laughs> Vodafone is offering all iPhone users an extra three gigs of data a month and 1,000 multimedia messages mm. for free just because they want to be nice to iPhone users. Indeed. Indeed. Why, why are they doing this? Is oh, this I... a marketing thing or? Oh, oh Always. <laughs> They're not doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. It is always <laughs> what's in it for them. Yeah, it's always a catch. So, do you think it's uh, to take some of the spotlight away from the telecom XD network and say, "Hey, look, there's things happening at Vodafone," and you yep. know, then their names all over the headlines. Yep, I think it is. I think it's something to take away from the Telecom XT to keep Vodafone up there. And also, you can't forget that the, the new carrier, Two Degrees, starts in August. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at Launched the moment... Early August. Not a lot is known about Two Degrees at the moment. They're not naming any of their handsets or any of their stuff up to this point. But this is Vodafone's way, I think, of keeping themselves in the in the headlines, but also keeping their customers that's the thing they don't want their customers customer to attention to yeah. yeah but it's do, do you think attention. do you think there's a deeper meaning that perhaps telecom or two degrees are going to offer the iphone and that vodafone strongly suspected do you think it's anything to do with that yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all especially with apple especially when you can now buy a iphone directly from apple doesn't come with any sort of contract or any sim card you can just buy an iphone from apple oh yeah that that was just new wasn't it Mm-hmm. So where do you get? Where do you buy that from Apple? Is that online from the Apple Store? Yep. So store.apple.co.nz, you get yourself an iPhone. Indeed, it's not locked down to a contract. You, of course, have to pay full price for it. But interestingly enough, full price is cheaper than the full price offered by Vodafone. Oh, now that's interesting. For like fifty bucks, so <laughs> which I thought was was the most interesting part about that day. Well, that makes no sense. Like fifty bucks cheaper. It is. It is quite odd. <laughs> so your advice to anyone out there considering a purchase of an iPhone outright, buy it from the Apple Store, yeah? If you just want the iPhone, buy it from the the Apple Store. It makes the most, you know, monetary sense. You get the best price for it. But if you want a good contract, right now Vodafone's is by far the best. Especially with the three gig. Uh, Especially with the three traffic. gig. If mm. you sign up. Get new customers get it automatically. All current customers get it the first time that their plans roll over after the 1st of July. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a brilliant thing. Oh, and by the way, you only get that extra three gigs if your iPhone is updated to the latest version of Apple software, OS 3.0, which is a free upgrade. And the other part is that the promotion only lasts for three months. Oh, so this isn't forever. It's not a forever thing, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do rethink their plans. Well, you could be onto something. In and, three months' time, and especially after Two Degrees has launched and what telecom comes up yeah, with. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, three months takes you beyond the, you know, the launch of Two Degrees. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's, there's something there. And as you said, they may well rethink their plans then and rejig everything to, to sit in, in the market uh, competitively. Indeed. Mm. 
Alrighty, well that's the show for this week. Episode 25 all wrapped up. Excellent. Quarter of a century down. Yeah. Uh, another 75 to go and we're on our 100th episode. It's just around the corner, really. We'll have to have a party. <laughs> yeah, we will have to have a party, all right. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Brett, thank you once again for hosting the show with me and we'll see you all again next week for episode 26. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>